in the county with Trevor Anderson. Saturday mornings on Live 95 with Fitzgerald Skip Hire. Time to clear your garden, shed, spare room, attic or garage? Check out FitzgeraldSkipHire.ie or call 414-200. Three options for the future operation of the Defence Forces were outlined in a report, the details of which were released this week. The report by the Commission on the Defence Forces has recommended either maintaining the Forces' current capabilities but increasing its spending by millions on its current budget. The second option includes enhanced capability, acquiring military aircraft and coastal radar systems. Option three would bring our forces up to the capabilities of other EU countries and acquiring fighter jets. Joining me on the line this morning is General Secretary of RACO, that's the Representative Association of Commissioned Officers, Commandant Connor King. Connor, good morning to you. Morning, Trevor. How are you? Good, thanks. Connor, the first option I've outlined, keeping things as they are, that's not recommended by the Commission. No, it's not actually, and, and they go a little bit further as well. You know, they say that it will be the continuation of business as usual for capability provision, and it'll leave this country, our country, Ireland, without a credible military capability to protect ourselves, our people and our resources for any sustained period. And, you know, we believe that this sobering analysis will be the springboard for the provision of adequate funding finally and resourcing for the Defence Forces by government. You know, really, we've been running to stand still for a number of years and it's refreshing to see the approach of the Commission and finally they've actually put a figure on what it takes to defend the state. And of all those three options I outlined, which one would you think is the most realistic option if we're saying basically one is, is a non-runner and the Commission itself is saying that? Yeah, in terms, of, in terms of immediate action, really it seems like all roads are pointing to level of ambition two, which is obviously the middle one. Um, level of ambition three will require a further national conversation around where we want to be as a, as a, as a nation state. You know, it talks about the likes of fighter jets in, in, in regard to air intercept and policing and significantly in, increasing the size of the naval service. But level of ambition too, really, does the Commission say it's urgent that this is implemented to just bring us up to be able to somewhat carry out our roles assigned by government? And what level of ambition too really describes is, you know, the, the simple basic things that normal military forces have in order to carry out their tasks. For example, primary radar, which allows us to see what's in our skies above us, or, you know, strategic reach or airlift to allow us to deploy and recover our troops properly, you know, from overseas, and maybe an enhanced cyber defence capability, all things that benefit all the citizens of the state. So as things stand at the moment, Connor, who is policing Irish skies? I think it's um, a poorly kept secret, and it's been in the media for a long time, that we don't have the capacity to police our skies, so we rely on our neighbours to do so. And really, when people talk about neutrality and, and being a, a neutral and non-military-aligned state, you have to be able to protect and resource that neutrality. And because we can't police our own skies, we rely on others to do it. From your dealings with the government, do you think there's radical change or radical um, appetite for change uh, in relation to the defence forces and current spending levels? Yeah, it's the first time in a long, long time, and I'm, I'm doing this a while, where I've seen you know cross-party acknowledgement in, in government for the fact that the defence forces has been grossly underfunded for decades. This is a new thing, this new acknowledgement. You know, every now and again, the opposition will come on and... and and call out the government, and you could say perhaps that's, that's honest and perhaps it's political. But now we have the government as well completely accepting all the recommendations in the report, completely acknowledging, putting the hands up and saying, we've been underfunding the Defence Forces for too long. And while this is welcome, 
you know, we have a really poor track record of implementation in the defence sector. We've had white papers on defence, we've had pay commissions, we've had high-level implementation plans, and they've sat on the shelf. So, you know, the devil is in the detail in terms of implementation here. We're supposed to get an extra 3,000 people to provide a minimum credible defence deterrent for the state. So we have to reserve judgment until we see the resolve to resource and implement the recommendations. And like, this is going to take a lot of change and transformation. And like any change process, you need quick wins. So we'll be looking for a few signals from government that you know they're serious about resourcing. And really, you know, the, the commission report is really strong on capability provision. You know, on what's the military hardware required, but it's pretty weak and pretty vague on how we're going to get the people to do it. Um, okay, you're talking about uh, manpower shortages. I mean, the, the Navy, for instance, has, has a serious amount of shortages in that area. The Navy have a, a lot of vessels, but maybe they can't operate them all because of those shortages. Yeah, again, it's been widely documented that the Naval Service have a nine-chip fleet, but, you know, they have three completely out of action at the moment. And realistically, at any one time, they can put two to three to get um, out to sea at the same time. And the Commission acknowledges this and says it's an absolute disgrace, you know, and it needs to be urgently looked at. They've recommended double crewing all ships to ensure a minimum of 220 patrol days at sea per ship. Now, that's a brilliant recommendation, and it's absolutely welcome. But you're going to have to put some money behind resourcing and retaining people. If I look closer to home for you guys at the 12th Infantry Battalion in Starfield Barracks there, at the moment they're supposed to have 450 people in the barracks. They have about 110 people they can actually deploy at the moment because most of the unit is overseas. You know, and when you drill that down to our membership, you know, we only have 37.5% of our captains in the 12th Battalion at the moment and 60% commandants. So the leadership of the unit is missing. And that's the same we're seeing it across the country. And it has absolute dire consequences for mentoring, for supervision and for governance. And obviously that's an increased risk for all. Okay, I'm speaking to Conor King. Conor is General Secretary of RACO, the Representative Association of Commissioned Officers, and we're speaking about that uh, report by the Commission on the Defence Forces. Um, in terms of peacekeeping, are we too uh, stretched uh, overseas in, in terms of our, our peacekeeping commitments there? Well, well I, I just mentioned that, that the 12th Battalion is the current lead unit in, in UNIFIL, which is in, the, in the Lebanon, and we are hugely proud of our, our contribution to, to I suppose, world peace, and certainly in the Middle East and Africa, in relation to the, the physical manifestation of Ireland's foreign policy, that's what we see ourselves as, and that's what we're told we are. You know, but in, term, in terms of our own establishment and how we've resourced our defence forces at home, all roads are pointing to the fact that we are currently overstretched and overcommitted. And why is that? Because members are going to the well more and more frequently to fill overseas appointments, and particularly in the specialist appointments, like technicians, like drivers, like chefs, you know, like certain weapons specialists, APC drivers, etc., bomb disposal experts. They're being asked more and more frequently to go overseas. And when you have young, a young family, it becomes untenable, and that's kind of forcing people out the door. So what we asked the Commission to look at in our submission was a strong overseas establishment, which would allow for people to go overseas, would allow us to recruit and retain people and promote them even within the system to fill those gaps. Unfortunately, they don't seem to have delivered us. So is it more a case of the deficiencies in pay and conditions as opposed, as opposed to maybe deficiencies in, in equipment? That if, you, if the Army and, and Defence Forces was a more attractive proposition, you know, there would be more people um, in, enlisting. 
it all comes down to what's in your back pocket at the end of the day. You know, pride and medals will only get you so far, Trevor. You know, we have massive pride in the state and in defending the state. When we go out and represent the defence forces, we have a, an Ireland sash on our, on our shoulder. It's like playing for Ireland, we would see. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to put food on the table. You have to be able to put your kids through school or through college. You know, and we've had chances before to resort to defence force in terms of people. We've had a high-level instrumentation plan, which is on the, on the boil for about two and a half years now. Should have been delivered a year and a half ago. And it still is sitting on the shelf in, in, to a large degree. Um, we've also had a problem with our working time. And we've, you know, we've, we've never recorded our hours. And that's put us at a serious disadvantage with the rest of the public sector. And so a major reason why the Defence Forces as a whole is bottom of the CSO pay table, the public sector pay table, and has been for years. So the, the, the Commission wasn't silent on this. It said it really needs to remove the free labour aspect of military life and it called for the urgent implementation of the Working Time Directive. And we were really happy to hear the Commission refer to the need to introduce compensatory mechanisms used by other European Armed Forces, which include the likes of overtime, time off in lieu, allowances, etc., which they say are compatible with military service and in line with public sector pay policy. So there's a reason why, you know, the Garda Síochána, a frontline guard can, can earn from time to time the same as, we'll say, a sergeant or an inspector, because they get paid for the hours they do in the form of overtime. That's been denied to our members for years, since the foundation of the state, really, and certainly since public service pay talk started. So we'll be looking to get those normal aspects of public service pay policy implemented to the Defence Forces, because the Commission seems to think that we're the same as everybody else, so it's high time that they actually treated us the same as everybody else. Okay, so either way, I mean, if options two or three were were, um, implemented, it would be a massive increase in in spending on our defence forces. What would you say to people who said that money should go towards housing or or the health service? That's a great argument, and you're always going to hear that. Um, I would ask people to consider what benefit the defence forces provides to the state. Would you pay for your insurance if you had the choice? It is a national insurance policy. So if you talk about housing, it's the first one you mentioned there. We have housing needs too and we have housing in various barracks that has been run down deliberately over the past number of decades a small amount of investment to bring that accommodation up to standard would take soldiers off the social housing list and would free up housing in the country for other people because remember soldiers are citizens as well and also require housing in terms of health you know we all talk about the black hole of the health service and where the budget goes the contribution of the defense forces to the health service particularly over the past two and a half years it has been clear for everybody to see. And I'm not just talking about COVID-19, which has been obvious, and obviously the 12th Battalion have been involved in terms of mandatory vaccinations, um, in term, sorry, in mandatory hotel quarantine, vaccination centres, testing, logistics, etc. But I'm also talking about the cyber attack on the HSE. We don't know at the moment, Trevor, how many people have been affected by that, how many di- diagnoses have, have been delayed, how many people perhaps have got sicker or died because of that. We want to prevent it again. And by resourcing our defence forces, that's how we can strengthen the health service. And finally, in relation to health, we provide a 24-7-365 emergency air ambulance service across the Midlands and, and the West and, in the, and the Southwest as well. We also provide air ambulance to the UK with the Air Corps. So, you know, it has, it has, a, it has a massive implication on all aspects of society. Okay, finally then, Connor, the, the next step uh, f- for the report, the report said its findings will have to be acted upon and can't be put on the long finger. Uh, what 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 is the next step then? Well, the next step is that they've talked about putting together um, an action plan, I think, or an implementation plan. I'm not sure of the terminology yet. 
we will be calling for full engagement and full consultation as a representative body and I'm sure PD Fora will be doing the same in, in how this action plan comes to pass. What, are, what is the low-hanging fruit that we can you know, pick off and make life a little bit better and make service a bit more attractive to people? Because remember, we're looking for an additional 3,000 people to come up to the bare minimum to provide a defence for the state. Where are we going to get it? It's only through adequate pay and conditions of service, proper pensions for people, you know, proper pay, proper overtime, etc. So implementation is going to be absolutely key. You're going to need cross-party support. Every TD and senator is going to have to get, get behind this. They're going to have to realise the value that the Defence Forces provides to the state. I think people are waking up to it now, but we're going to have to drive it through. And it has to be quick. It can't be allowed to sit on the shelf. There's an independent chairperson is going to be appointed, which is very welcome. And I think the Commission were really, really clear that this is an absolute must because of the poor track records that the Defence Forces and the Department of Defence have had in terms of implementation over the last number of decades. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see if there are quick wins. And if there are, and the likes of the high-level plan is, del- is delivered immediately, then we can get behind this and have a bit of confidence that we have brighter days ahead. In the County with Trevor Anderson. Saturday mornings on Live 95 with Fitzgerald Skip Hire. Time to clear your garden, shed, spare room, attic or garage? Check out FitzgeraldSkipHire.ie or call 414 200.